Podcast The Bayaning Filipino Podcast, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the lives and works of countless Filipinas that helped shape the history of our country. Lingit sa kaalaman ng nakararami, maraming mga babae ang buong tapang at pusong lumaban para sa kalayaang tinatamasa natin ngayon. I will feature these obscure and unsung figures of Filipino empowerment. Ako si Inya Kulada. Samahan niyo ako para kilalanin itong mga tinaguriang bayaning Filipina. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Bayaning Filipina podcast. But first, an explanation of my absence. I know I left the previous regular episode abruptly with the promise of a series on the women of the lives of our national hero, Jose Rizal. And I will get to that following this one. I know this is not news to everyone, that since the last episode, we did indeed go through, as I said, our generation's most historic elections. I will not be ashamed to admit that I was one of the 15 million plus people left heartbroken in the aftermath. I admit to a momentary loss of motivation. I felt tired every time I tried to pick up the microphone and I felt some form of exhaustion whenever I tried to open a book or do my usual rounds of searches on the internet for my next episodes. So I had to regroup. But I know that if I let myself succumb to resignation, the stories of the people of these amazing women of our history that I swore I will continue to tell will not tell themselves. Someone has to do it, and as I have yet to find someone else, I have to get myself out of these doldrums and just keep on. Especially now that we find our history under attack from people who seek to twist it to their favor or just blatantly ignore its significance. Now that we have that out of the way, and because we are in the middle of September, I'm not letting this month pass by without having a Marcos Regime September bonus episode. And so without further ado, let's dive in. Today's Bayaning Filipina is someone I'm positive I've already mentioned, albeit in passing, during a past Marcos Regime September episode that featured another beauty queen, Maita Gomez. Though they were similar in being crown holders and for their determination in fighting for our country's democracy, their stories and the way they fought for our democracy were different in some ways. So let us begin. For someone who came to the public eye as a beauty queen, very little is known about the beginnings of Nelia Sancho. It was actually pretty hard to find any write-ups about her. Um, there wasn't even a Wikipedia page dedicated to her. And I had to go through a few unverified articles just to get the details of her biography. Nelia Sancho was born fifth of eight siblings on August 30, 1951. She belonged to a prominent and landed family in Cateclan, Aklan, and Antique. In fact, her maternal grandfather donated the land where an alternative airport was built in Cateclan, Malay, Aklan, which is much closer to the Barakay Beach Resort 
than the main airport in Calibo. Her family is also related to former Philippine Chief Justice Calixto Saldivar, who served from 1964 to 1974. She was also cousins with a Central Bank of the Philippines retiree, Hector Canimo, who later said that people would not believe that they were related. This was because Nene's father, who had just finished law school, thought their last name was quote-unquote to Visayan for a lawyer. And so he had it changed to his middle name, and from then on, his progeny, Nelia included, bore Sancho, an unusual Filipino surname, as their last name. Her parents were never publicly named, though. Articles written about her say that her father worked as an auditor for the Commission on Audit and was assigned to different parts of the country. It is for this reason that Nelia entered different schools in her youth. She attended St. Anne's Academy, then the Santa Ana Elementary School, Villamore High School, all of which are in Manila, and then ended up at the Catholic Girls' School of Immaculate Conception in Davao City. Despite this, she managed to earn honors through primary and secondary school. She entered as a pre-med student at the University of the Philippines, but later shifted to a mass communications course as she confessed to being squeamish and having the proclivity to throw up whenever they had to dissect human and animal cadavers. In 1969, she was enticed to join the Binibining Pilipinas pageant as an adventure, a fun way of exploring what she could be, where she finished as first runner-up to Gloria Diaz, who went on to win the first Miss Universe title for the Philippines. In 1970, top Filipino fashion designer Pitoy Moreno, who belonged to the, and I apologize if I butcher this, Upsayon Sigma Phi, the brother fraternity of Nelia's sorority, recruited her as a fashion model. Yes, the same Pitoy Moreno that recruited Maita Gomez to be a model as well. In 1971, the Philippine Tourism Authority appointed her to represent the country in the Queen of the Pacific held in Melbourne, Australia, where she bested 29 other ladies from the Pacific Rim countries and even won the most photogenic award to boot. This win, however, meant that she had to miss a year of school to attend to the duties of a title holder. It was after this stint that she realized Although grateful for the experience, that the beauty queen and fashion model life was not for her. She was a young woman, in the middle of the unusually long regime of the president of her time. Her patriotic heart was starting to awaken as she saw the nationalism that was engulfing the student population during the protests against the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War. Ironically enough, Nelia became a high-profile and very credible leader of the demonstrations against beauty pageants being held in Manila at the time for, quote-unquote, commercializing women's bodies. The activist groups then did not immediately take her seriously, as they must have thought she was too beautiful and has so much at stake for her to sacrifice her status for their cause. And in some way, They might have been right because, at the time, Nelia confessed that she had no deep 
nationalist or ideological lines. She was quoted saying, Nagjo-join lang ako ng mga demo. I was just joining the demonstrations. Just like the rest of the UP students, I barely understood the political issues being raised and had no deep commitment to the cause. However, some of our classmates were so serious in the cause and, like most student activists of the time, went underground to pursue their nationalistic campaigns. These students approached Nelia and her sorority for material and financial help, which they obliged with rice or whatever they could spare. Of course, with the active crackdown of the government and its military of what they described as subversive, one of her activist classmates was caught in 1973, and with her possessions, they found a list of donors and supporters. This list included the name of Nelia. She had no choice but to go into hiding together with her other sorority sisters on the list. While they were meeting in the house of one of her sisters in Malabon, where they were to discuss or plan for their security measures, the military came and raided the house looking for political activists of the left underground movement. Nelia related that, quote, They were not even looking for me. They were after two UP professors from the Spanos, end quote. Based on a report by the Human Rights Violations Victims Memorial Commission, these professors were Alfredo Malixi and Cesar Hicaro. The turning point for Nelia came after when she witnessed with her own eyes an event that forever remained in her memory and changed the course of her life. In the same house raid mentioned earlier, she witnessed the two professors shot dead point-blank right before her, executed without trial, salvaged as they would call it. She was in shock and it took her time to recover from it. What she could not accept, she said, was that the military could get away with such an act, a crime, without the rest of the world knowing about it. This, as I said, changed her. From a nearby stander who found herself caught unwillingly in the thick of things, she became more active and a willing participant in the fight against the oppression of the people. She was transformed. She became a political activist who committed herself to human rights. But this did not happen instantly. At this point, I would like to mention that in my research for this episode, I found it very challenging to find anything about Nelia Sancho's life before she became a beauty queen, before she became an activist. What I found, however, were multiple articles in commemoration of her life as an activist in the wake of her very recent passing. And almost all, if not indeed all, of these articles had in its title the words beauty queen turned activist. And is this not the way it is for some of us? One day we will be going about our lives, shaking our heads when we hear the unbelievability of the news. Then suddenly we find ourselves in the middle of a movement that we never intended to be part of in the first place. In the beginning we were just posting an agreement or disagreement about one thing or another. The next thing we know, the love for our country and its people has been awakened and we are wanting to do something about it. At least that was how it was for me, sort of. 
But I'm getting ahead of myself. For now, let's go back to Nelia's awakening. What made matters worse for Nelia was the fact that the head of the arresting soldiers of that fateful day was a distant uncle from Pandan. Nelia and her sorority sisters were sent to a safe house for a while and then she was eventually released to the custody of her father. Out of concern for his daughter's seemingly crumbling future, he sent Nelia to the vow where she found a job as a collection officer for a big company. Like I said, her awakening was not instantaneous. In Davao, she was successful in the career she made for herself and admitted that her beauty queen title and celebrity status helped. Even being invited and picked up by helicopters to one office or another so they could be in her presence as she fulfilled her duties as a collector. It seemed that she was given the opportunity to live away from the troubles of the time and she thrived. However, the memory of the brutal murders of the two professors that she herself witnessed remained firmly etched in her mind. She became restless and her conscience would not let her settle down and do nothing. She felt anger, especially towards the military, and at how they continually lived in impunity. It is then that she finally decided to join the underground movement. She said, quote, In fact, I looked for them, not the other way around. They did not look for and recruit me, end quote. It was not the case of her embracing the communist ideology, and she never considered herself as a leftist despite the authorities labeling her as such. She joined the left because it was the only opposition at the time of the martial law. She was being intensely humanitarian, propelled by her love for her fellow men and her desire to seek justice for every man. She was immersed in the shanty towns of Cagayan de Oro when she was arrested for charges of subversion. She amusingly recalled how she was only in the city despite the news claiming she went into hiding in the mountains. Namundok, as they would say. Namundok being a code for people who joined the insurgents who mainly based themselves in the mountains. According to her, she was only involved in the opposition movement for a year but was detained for two and a half from 1976 to 1978 when she was released on humanitarian grounds. After she was arrested, she was brought to Manila and detained together with other human rights activists like lawyer and now the late former Senator Joker Arroyo, who would go on to be one of the key figures of the 1986 Edsa People Power Revolution. It was during this time that she met Antonio Liao, a fellow activist who she would later go on to marry and would eventually have children with. When she was released, she virtually became a single mother as she was separated from Antonio and was forced to be independent and find a source of money to survive. She ended up selling encyclopedias, you know, those book sets we used to rely on for research before the internet was more accessible. Although I doubt any encyclopedia would have helped me in doing research for the stories of the woman I feature on this podcast. But I digress. She eventually left this livelihood within a year of sales work. In the interview for the article of Asian Journal USA, which I used as my primary source for this episode, when asked if she ever thought of what could have been 
if she would do all she did again if given the chance. Her response was, quote, Did I regret my actions? No, I did not. Because those were my decisions at those particular moments dictated by my conscience. Would I do them again given another chance? Well, I have already experienced them. Perhaps I may try another experience, end quote. In 1986, as the dictator was ousted by the Filipino people and a new administration took over, one of her fellow detainees, the aforementioned human rights lawyer Joker Arroyo, became one of the close advisors of the new president, Cory Aquino. With him and along with the other left-leaning nationalist advisors, President Cory Aquino ordered the release of political detainees during the years of martial law. And with this, Nelia's husband, Antonio, was released and was able to come home to them. Sadly, however, their long separation took a toll on their relationship. They stayed together for two years, Nelia recalled, for the sake of their children. They eventually mutually agreed that they were too young when they became involved and did not have the emotional foundation and experience to hold the marriage together. And so they formally annulled their marriage in 1998. While their children grew up to make a name and a life for themselves, Nelia and Antonio continued to do community work. Her former husband worked as an aide for the development of barangay associations in a town in the south, while Nelia re-immersed herself in humanitarian causes. Now, because their stories were similar, as well as their determination to fight for rights, especially their advocacy for women empowerment, it was inevitable that Nelia's fate would intertwine with that of Maita Gomez again. Together, they co-founded Gabriela National Alliance of Women in the early 1980s. After steering the organization to prominence, Nelia eventually left it to pursue other endeavors. Among these countless achievements, she pioneered the framework for an alternative early childhood education that centers on the child's innate capacity with the support system from their social environments. Thus, support structures such as daycare centers mushroomed all over the country. During the 1990s, Nelia was elected to the Board of Trustees of the Task Force Detainees of the Philippines, a pioneering human rights group formed in 1974 by church leaders. In 1991, while attending a conference in Korea, she was introduced to the plight of the comfort women, the women who were forced into sexual subservience by the Japanese military during World War II. She continued her advocacy for comfort women through the Lola's Campanera, which helped identify Filipino victims. Sadly, out of the 450 that were accounted for, only 150 have remained as most had already passed away because of their age. In 1992, Nelia enlisted a radio station to encourage Filipino women who had been abused during wartime by Japanese troops to come forward. This became the catalyst for the comfort women movement of the Philippines. It was this call that prompted Lola Rosa Henson, who I've also previously featured in this podcast, to come forward and tell her story. 
Dalila Pilipina was then formed. And during the late 90s, Nelia became its Secretary General. Nelia played an active part in the International Solidarity Conference that called for the resolution of Japan's wartime past. I tried looking for the Lola's Campanera and also for the website that was mentioned in one article, but it seems to now be inactive. However, Lila Pilipina is still very much alive and is continuing their fight for justice for comfort women. The plight of whom, as we know, is yet to be officially recognized by the Japanese government. Nelia published books, conducted research, and has spoken in many forums in promotion of her causes. Nelia Sancho was found lifeless on September 1, 2022, two days after celebrating her 71st birthday, as confirmed by his son, Carlo, at the UP Bliss House in Quezon City. In a statement by Gabriela, they remembered Nelia as, quote, proof that women are not meant to be submissive and obedient, but have a crucial role in pushing for genuine freedom and human rights, end quote. Though she has mentioned wanting to take a much-deserved sabbatical from her long years of work in activism, she remained active in fighting for her advocacy, specifically for comfort women and victims of human trafficking, until the very end. Finally, I would like to read a quote from her interview with The H in 1981 that I found on Dakila's Facebook post in commemoration of her life. Quote, The issue is not whether you are a communist or not. It's whether you are working for the people or not. For me, that's more important than identifying with any particular ideology. End quote. Friends, I am releasing this episode 50 years to the day when martial law was declared by the late dictator. And as we end this day, let's not let ourselves be drowned by the controversiality of it all. This day is not pinned on the calendar for the event. It is neither to celebrate it or to merely use it to make a point. This day is remembered so that we look back and see the people. All the people who were lost to their families forever just because they wanted to put things to right. How it affected the nation as a whole. Let us remember the activists like Nelia Sancho, who were neither left nor right, but knew what the people of this country deserves and dedicated her life to fighting for it, who saw that there was something wrong about what was happening around her and knew she had to do something, so she did. Let us recognize that activism is not terrorism, and most of the freedoms and privileges we enjoy today came about because many before us stood up and fought for it. Dear listeners, I know I've been away too long. There were too many circumstances that did not really happen in my favor and those things almost prevented me from continuing this little podcasting project. If I have previously failed to mention, this podcast is independently produced by myself and is in actuality not monetized, mainly because this is a passion project and also because I didn't know how. I really just wanted to learn about their stories and then tell them so maybe a few more can learn from them and maybe be inspired. Getting a few bucks for it wasn't and still isn't really a top goal. But of course, it wouldn't hurt if I get a little help thrown my way. The truth is, 
for the past two seasons, I've only been using whatever I have within my reach to do my research and recordings and editings. I went into this with zero experience. I have no equipment whatsoever. And then I started to learn the craft and I'm still continuing to learn. If you like this episode and this podcast, you can support me by visiting my Buy Me A Coffee page. Any support you can spare can help me improve the podcast. I'm including a link in the show notes. Of course, kind words also help a great deal. And if you can, please leave a rating for this podcast on Spotify or whatever platform you are hearing this from. And share it with your friends, your families, or drop me a DM on Twitter or Instagram just to let me know you're out there. Getting those comments and messages really boosts my motivation. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help the podcast, please subscribe and share it to your friends through social media and leave a 5-star rating whenever you can. I'm all for the feedback, suggestions, and greetings. And for all these things, you may reach me at bayaningfilipina at gmail.com, through Twitter at byphilipod, Instagram at bayaningfilipina, and I'm also on TikTok at Bayaning Filipina Pod. Maraming salamat sa pakikinig. As always, stay safe, make good choices, at huwag natin kalimutan maging bayani sa kahit na pinakamaliit na paraan.